Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 140, and today... My name is Peyton Burton, and today, alongside with me, I got my brother, Josh Burton. It's just us two for this episode. Phil, um, he's under the weather right now, and so is Coy. Hopefully, we get both of those guys back here sometime soon. But other than that, Josh, it's nice to be able to have this show. We're going old school, just me and you for this one. Yeah, uh, we were expected to have Phil, um, our, our guy, Corey. Uh, he's kind of... Been MIA. Hopefully he's all right. Uh, join us soon again. Phil will be back Sunday. But yeah, no, we're, we're handling business on a Thursday night for the midweek episode. As you can see with us live on the YouTube, the Twitter, and the Facebook. If you're joining along live, leave your comments as always. You see our guy, Connor Makabe, in the live chat. What is up, Connor? Thank you for always uh, being a loyal supporter and hopping in. Uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. We got a lot to talk about that happened throughout the week. One big news story. And, uh, yeah, man. Hey, this is your show. The midweek's yours, so. Yep. And we were supposed, I know we promoted it uh, Sunday's episode, that we were supposed to have Matt St. Jean from Motor the Garden on the show today. We had to reschedule that, so hopefully he'll be on either this Sunday or potentially next Thursday. We'll get him on here soon. Yeah, he's a little we under talks. the weather. Yeah, we can. Shit yeah. happens. Yeah, shit happens. Um, we'll get them on here soon. That way we can all talk about some Big East basketball. Probably the second best conference in college basketball this year behind the Big 12. At yeah, least I would said, think so. Yeah, well, we said it well, an episode two ago. Um, it's as far as top to bottom, it's second behind the Big 12. But as far as excitement level, it's probably number one. The, uh, the Big East tournament is probably going to be the most exciting conference tournament in college basketball this year. That I agree with 100%. Um, I mentioned uh, this. Uh, I forgot to mention this uh, podcast is presented by House Enterprise. Um, and in part with House of College Hoops, head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. Not only that, but this podcast, like it's been all season long, they've been with us since day one to start the year off. Beauty Beast Nutrition. Check out Natasha. If you're in loca- if, if you're in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana, go check them out. Beauty Beast Nutrition. It's a, it's a, um, juice bar, you can get a bunch of stuff, protein shakes, you can get a lot of boosted teas, cookies, whatever you need to get your boost for the day. Go get it, and Josh is no one better than Natasha doing this type of stuff. Moving on, though, let's go ahead and get into the situation. It's been a big topic, the biggest news story in college basketball in our sport for the past week, and that's the news that's surrounding Brandon Miller. Um, it's a very touchy subject. Not a lot's really happened, but this is going back to, I think, January um, when, who was it, Darius Miles was involved in a, a murder. And uh, now it's came out that Brandon Miller um, may have handed him a gun. I don't really know all the ins and outs. It's a very touchy subject. But, Josh, what's your whole thoughts on this situation? Man, it's like two weeks in a row we've had to talk about something like this. It's not yeah. good. No, it is not. And I apologize for about 20 seconds ago. Um, little lapse in internet. I'm hoping we've got this situation figured out. But no, about the Brandon Miller deal, man, um, without getting too involved because it's still an ongoing legal situation, the gist from what we understand is Darius Miles was at a nightclub, which is not unusual. College students and period go to these things. Completely normal. 
But apparently at like around 1 a.m., he texts Brandon Miller because he had left his gun in Brandon Miller's vehicle, I think's what it was, and texts him, hey, basically bring my gun to me. And from what we understand, based on the reports that we've got and the, the attorneys from Brandon Miller's came out, that Brandon drove the gun to him, but didn't, you know, didn't actually grab the gun, didn't do any of the activities. And then Darius Miles did what he did. Also involved was Alabama star as well, Jaden Bradley. It is a terrible situation. One, a young lady lost her life. I, I was talking to our, our mutual friend, admin of the Facebook group, uh, one of our best friends, Johnny Stroud, about this same situation earlier this afternoon. Essentially, three lives were lost in a way. You have the young lady. I think her name was Jamia Harris. She lost her life that night. You have Darius Miles, pending on what happens in court, has basically signed his life over. Again, that's a whole legal issue, but I'd imagine at very minimum, he's going to do a, a good amount of jail time, prison time. So he's pretty much signed his life away. And then the even the more unfortunate part is Jamia's son, five-year-old son, has lost a mother that he's going to have to grow up without never getting to see her again. So I want to keep all this in mind. Um, it, it's senseless. And the thing, and I know the Alabama fans are going to the end of the earth to defend Brandon Miller and calling out people who slandered him. I, I, okay. I get all that. And we're not slandering Brandon Miller because the, the facts are still needing to come out on this whole entire thing. I'm just going to say that I'm disappointed that it even got to this. He, I feel like he should know better than I, Peyton. I love you. But if you told me that, hey, man, bring my gun and I know you're at a nightclub at 1 a.m., that's probably bad news. That's a red flag. Especially with a guy like Brandon Miller who has all the – he's a top five lottery pick. And it could be very bad or it could have been a lot worse for him individually on top of whatever's already happened. So it's just at, at the very least – even if he is not going to be tried in court because they found him not guilty in any of this, basically, it is still not a good look. And, and again, I'm not slandering the kid because I'm still waiting on the whole process to play out. But at the very least, it's disappointing and it is a not a good look. And I would hope the most rational people could at least say that much that it's not a good look and it's very unfortunate. I bought the press. If you want, if you guys are watching the podcast on YouTube, I bought up the press release from uh, Brandon Miller's attorney. Um, and one of the parts, I'll go ahead and read it out in case you're just listening, not watching it. It says, on January 14th, Brandon played at a basketball game in the afternoon and later was asked by Darius Miles for a ride to the strip area to go to a nightclub. Mr. Miles bought his legal handgun and left it in the backseat of Brandon's vehicle. Brandon never saw the handgun nor handled it. Further, it's our understanding that the weapon was concealed under some clothing in the backseat of his car. Brandon did not go inside the nightclub and said he left and went to a restaurant to eat. At approximately midnight, Mr. Miles began asking Brandon to come pick him up so that he can leave and go to another location and join some friends. Brandon advised that he would be... Uh, along later, and approximately one hour later, Brandon began to leave the restaurant to pick up Mr. Miles. But first, she had to give another companion a ride home. And it just keeps on going on with the press release. Uh, if you guys want to read it, I'll link it into the Facebook group so that way you can read it yourself. Or you can probably just search it up. I mean, it's definitely easy to find. Like I said, it's a big news story. And Josh, you mentioned it. This is a t this is a shitty situation. And I'm not really going to go after Brandon Miller until we find out. 
um, more about the situation. But I think if if it's in your car, and I've been hearing stuff like it's been it was in the back seat that he never saw it anything, but and uh, I've been hearing people like Alabama fans saying that uh, Brandon um, or Darius Miles didn't say that it was actually a gun, even though the press release pretty much says it was a gun. Um, it's a shitty situation. My concern is, for one, we someone lost a life. So it's a shitty situation. It's a tough subject to talk about. But I'm more pissed off at the adults than I am Brandon Miller in this situation. Nate Oates, Dude, he's a fantastic coach. Great X's and O's. He's a great coach. But, dude, you got to know what's going on in your team. And some of the stuff he's been saying, some of the quotes he's been saying has been the most ridiculous quotes I've ever heard in a long-ass time. Specifically, he made a press release before this attorney statement even even came out. Like, this came out um, not too yes, long sir. ago. Like, yes, yesterday. Sir. Yes, sir, before made, the South Carolina game. And he made the press conference like two days before this. So he came on and saying that wrong place, wrong time. Brandon Miller's in the wrong place, wrong time. That's not wrong place, wrong time. The shit that's happened in East Lansing, that's wrong place, wrong time. Not this situation. Brandon Miller didn't have to go pick up Darius Miles. He didn't have to. It was his choice. No, but, it- and, and to elaborate a little bit further, you're absolutely right. And, and to NATO's credit on that, he did later that day through a press release come out and say that basically his words, he didn't want those words to be representative. He kind of misspoke there a little bit, even though it, the, it wasn't a good look. This whole situation is not a good look. And uh, But NATO did kind of clarify and explain a little bit more what he meant and understood he used poor choice of words in that. So, but you're right with the leadership, like Alabama, um, they've known about this, Brandon Miller's potential involvement and Jaden Bradley's potential involvement since it happened and nothing's came out. And I'm not saying if, I mean, if he's not found guilty, it's hard to suspend a kid. And I know there's a lot of people, which is disgusting that in the media, which we are, that are preying on a young man's downfall like Brandon Miller. They're wanting him to be guilty for something so he can be locked away and ruin his future. That's disgusting to me. But the leadership should have at least got out in front of this, the adults, as you mentioned. Once they found out, they could have said this a month ago and be like, hey, it's this is what's going on. It's under legal investigation. We're keeping a close eye on it. As far as right now, Brandon Miller – no charges. And you could have got out in front of this. I think what's caught everybody by surprise is not only is Alabama really good, but now you find out the star player on your team, along with another really key role player in Jaden Bradley, that they were involved and it was almost like it was hidden. Now, I don't know if that's a legal term, like legal reason why they were hidden, but yeah, they should have got out in front of this, in my opinion. It, it's so unfortunate. And we're so talking about, you know, Nate Oates and Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley that the point of the story is is a young lady lost her life. And that, and that's the saddest thing. And along with the fact that her five-year-old son now has to grow up without ever seeing his mother again. But as far as Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley, especially Brandon Miller, just use better judgment next time. I mean, pray to God there's not next time, but you know what I'm saying? In other situations like this, know who you are, use better judgment. And um, it's very unfortunate. It really is. Last thing I'll say to this, and we can move on to talk about some black Tyler deals. 
whatever you want to talk about here in a minute. But last thing I'll say on this is talking about Nate Oates. I mean, I just blame the administration. I blame all the adults in the room because they could have handled this shit a lot better than what they did. They could have protected Blaine and Miller. Maybe this, even Deus Miles, they could protect them both. Maybe this situation, we won't have to be standing here talking about this on a week where we've had some pretty good college basketball games. Instead of talking about that, we're talking about this situation. It sucks. One of the quotes that, um, Nate Oates said, but also was just like a little bit questionable. And he said, well, kids go out. All, all kids, they go out, they go have fun, they go do what they do. Dude, every single program has kids going out. That's not an excuse. And say what you want about Coach Cal, whatever you want to say about him, X's and O's, or how you should go to Texas, or whatever it is, he can't get the job done anymore. Dude, one thing that's never in question with him that I'll always respect for him, he put the kids first. Oh, yeah. I when mean, kids absolutely. went to his pocket, it doesn't matter if it's UMass, Memphis, Kentucky, those kids were there and you know those kids were safe and they were doing the right things. And, and it's unfortunate. And unfortunate. and I and I fully understand that like you can't you can't be with them 24-7. Like and especially younger men are going to do stupid shit. But man, I, I think that there's something in America that's gotta change. We've gotta stop feeling like, oh, they disrespected me, that I, I've got to pull out a gun. And that's a larger issue for a political show, but we've got to fix stuff here. Um, it, it's just, it's unfortunate, man. It really is. Our, our guy Connor in the chat, you can see on the, the screen now, he just says, just waiting to see all the information before I make my stance. It's all around a bad situation. It could have been a complete different situation, judging by the time and place. Um, yeah, and I think that kind of sums it up. Again, not placed in blame on Brandon Miller. As of now, he is found innocent in all of this. But again, I'm just disappointed that it even got to this. And I, I, I wish it wouldn't have came to this. These last few really this year. I mean, no, these last few months have been really shitty. From the Chris Beard situation, I text for him getting losing his job, to this whole situation with Brandon Miller, the stuff that's happening at East Lansing on campus. I mean, these past few months have been just really shitty for us to talk about, but let's try. I know it's going to be a tough subject, and it's going to be hard to, uh, to talk about something different, but let's just try our best to move on here. Josh, you want to talk about some bracketology? Yeah, and I don't want to go too deep because uh, cheap plug here. Our, our guy Phil tomorrow night. He's going to do it up leading up to uh, Selection Sunday, which is in what three weeks. Starting on every Friday night for the next couple of weeks, live on Twitter Spaces, you can catch Phil along with our other friend of the show, Dan Vasa, poll voter in the ECB Top Twenty Five, along with special guests throughout the week. I know they've got a nice collection tomorrow night on Friday or today if you're listening to this on a Friday, eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitter Spaces. They will talk all things bracketology, break down the brackets, answer your questions about the bubble teams and everybody that's already in the tournament. It'll be a fun show, so I don't want to go too far into it. But Joe Lenardi came out with his most recent bracketology um, a few days ago, actually. I think it was on Tuesday. And I just kind of want to glance over how the changing landscape, because it's been a month or so since we've really talked about it. The one seeds, Alabama. Houston, Purdue, Kansas. If you remember, we talked about it on Sunday's episode 139 about the top 16 reveal. So it's not a big surprise on some of these, but Peyton, how about a potential matchup if these theoretically played out of, you could maybe get Alabama and North Carolina State in the second round in Birmingham, which would be a lot of fun. And also in that same region, which is the South region, four seed Indiana, five seed Creighton. What a ball game that would be. Uh, you look at some of the other ones. How about the Kentucky Wildcats, Peyton? 
we talk about it, and you've said it off air for a long time, and this is not to piss Purdue fans off, but you look at the East region, according to Lenardi's most recent bracket, Kentucky is up to an eight line. You remember just a week and a half ago, 10 days ago, they weren't even in the tournament after the Georgia loss. Now they are rolling a little bit up to an eight seed, playing Pittsburgh, which I think is a favorable matchup for the Cats. Then you would get Purdue more than likely in the second round. Peyton, again, theoretical, but I know you like the matchup of Kentucky-Purdue. Oh, yeah. 100%. And the thing is, is like I do somewhat like the matchup if Pittsburgh were to beat Kentucky, Pittsburgh, and Purdue. Because Pittsburgh has some guards now. They got some guys. They got our long-lost uh, long brother, Jamalius Burton, on the team. Um, <laughs> so that's a, that's a good thing for them. But either way, you know, Kentucky probably will win that matchup. And then they'd probably face off against Purdue in the second round. And I think Oscar Shibway versus Zach Eady would be a fun battle to watch those two uh, horses going at each other. But I think Kentucky's guard play, especially how tall and athletic and big case of all it is as a guard, I think he would bully guys like Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer and their guards. I, I think they would have a tough time really getting out and getting their guards um, getting getting them going, especially how, in tournament play. How about also in that same region? It'd be in Albany in the first, second round, but 4-13 in that same region, uh, you have oh. Gonzaga versus Slick Rick of Iona. Ricky Patino, which we're going to talk about, which is a nice segue here in a second, but Rick Patino playing Gonzaga. You think he could get his team to uh, fire up long enough to pull the upset? I think that's a beautiful matchup for them because Gonzaga don't defend anybody. Offensively, they'll probably be too much for Iona, but I'm sure Rick Patino will disguise something to get some buckets to really slow them down defensively. But even in that region, even the the region, uh, the matchup ahead of them, UConn versus West Virginia, the 5-12 matchup, Dan Hurley versus uh, uh, Huggins. Hopefully Huggins can get into a tournament. I think he will. And uh, I think that's an interesting matchup because West Virginia, you know, playing the best conference in college basketball. I think that would be an intriguing matchup to watch. Well, and – the seven-two matchup yep. potentially yep. in Denver. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was Providence going to. versus Baylor. Yep. Dude, that's Baylor has the best backcourt in the country, but Devon Carter is one of the best defenders in the country. Period. Especially well, how, in the Big East Conference, that'd be how, nice. To how watch. physical would that game get? Oh my! I mean, it, it would be a clash of styles because Baylor's backcourts want to score a bunch. Providence wants to grind you out, but it would be a very physical matchup. That would be a hell of a lot of fun. But uh, the other one I want to focus on real quick. Go out to the West in this bracket. Who was yeah. our mid-major team of the week this last week on Sunday? I'm looking at it. Oral, Oral Roberts as an 11 seed against poor Northwestern. Northwestern's been a darling, but Peyton, if that was the bracket here in a couple weeks, I'm going Oral Roberts all day, even to the Sweet 16, because I'd have them beating Northwestern, and I'd have them outgunning at the three-seed Iowa State. Oral Roberts, if that was the little mini-pod, Oral Roberts goes to Sweet 16. Man, that's gonna be tough, dude. Boo Booey versus Max Amos. That'd be fun battle to watch. Man, I wouldn't be that'd be exciting to watch. I think Old Roberts could definitely win, but I just like Northwestern's toughest. So if that's the matchup, I think Northwestern without tough them and they would win that matchup. I think maybe, it'd be close. Maybe, but we see it all the time with Big Ten teams that they're allowed to beat each other up in conference, but they get to the tournament where it's a little bit more free flowing and they're not getting those calls. And so if Northwestern is not allowed to foul you a million times. Oral Roberts will live at the free throw line. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and how about that too? Rounding this out. Cause again, we don't want to go too in much in the bracketology, but that one seed of Kansas um, potentially playing either Iowa, or Arkansas. I know if I'm you and other Jayhawks, I'd rather play Iowa because Arkansas now getting healthy with Nick Smith. 
that is a terrible second round matchup. Even though I think Kansas would win, that is a terrible second round matchup. The only team in really in this, uh, Arkansas would definitely give us some issues, but I think our guard player would outshine theirs. Um, outside of maybe Nick Smith, but this whole like West side of the bracket, um, I really like Kansas chances to go back to final four. Only one that really like scares me is really Arizona. And that's our two C. We want to play them to the lead eight. That's because they just got two front court players and Tabellis and, uh, Who's the other one? Coloco? No, Abalo. That's who it is. Yeah. Abalo. They have two front court players who would definitely give our front court a lot of troubles. Um, but I like our path to get to a final four. I do like yeah. that region. Yeah, that um, would be – and by the way, I'll say it so you and Cook and all the other Jayhawks and Kyle Bauman don't have to because we talked about this off air the other night after – which we'll get into this after Kansas's uh, big win at TCU. They've got 14 quad ones. Well, quad one wins the most in history since the net started four years ago or five years ago, however long it's been. They've got potential to end up the season with 18 or 19 right now. And I love Alabama's team and you know this, but right now, Kansas is the number one overall seed in my opinion. Yeah. Right now, definitely. And especially if we win the regular season and God, if we win the big 12 tournament, I don't know how anyone can compete with their resume for overall number one seed. I definitely agree. Before we move on, the last four in on uh, the bubble right now is Nevada, Mississippi State, USC, and Wisconsin. Force four out. The first team that's out right now is North Carolina. Um, they got that big, they got the big matchup this week against Virginia. And then they got Duke coming up for the last game of the regular season. Another one of those teams in the first four out is Utah state. I really hope we can see Utah state in the tournament. They have no quad one wins. They're like, zero and six and quad one this year, but they get a big one coming up last game of the season against Boise state. who's like top 30 in the net. So that'd be a big matchup for them. And Utah state shoots the lights out from 30, 39%, which is ninth in the country, according to Ken Pop. So i like to see them uh, find a way to get off the bubble and make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting. Again, you can ask all these questions and more tomorrow night with the first um, Bracketology special with our guy Phil Dexter, Dan Vasa, and company on Twitter spaces. You can keep an eye out for it if you're following the ECB uh, Twitter page at ECB Podcast 10. If you're following Phil's at Phil underscore Dex underscore sports. And keep an eye on it. Join in 8 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night or tonight if you're listening to this on a Friday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Answer all your questions about bracketology as we're a couple weeks away from Selection Sunday. With that said, Peyton, let's get into some of the games from this early week. Yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about the so far probably the most anticipated game with so much big, uh, big time uh, number one seed complications on the line we'll go to the big east number 10 ranked marquette goes into omaha nebraska to take down creighton the red hot creighton team the number 19th ranked team in the country they beat creighton 73 to 71 we go back to sunday's episode when we all three were previewing this game both of you guys like creighton to hold home court i was the only one who picked marquette to win this game and tyler Colick outside of any Jayhawk, is probably my favorite player to watch in the country. Eight Besides four turnovers, he's got to clean that up. 18 points, 7 of 13 from the field, four rebounds, six assists. He was in foul trouble. But, dude, there's no way this kid's not winning Big East Player of the Year. And the thing is, this team is young. You mentioned on our Facebook group, they still have a lot of young players with no clear-cut NBA prospect on this team. They can be good for a couple more years, which is incredible. The pretty much the majority of these guys look, I mean, look at their starting fives, all sophomores. They have no seniors. It's all sophomores and freshmen. They all have at least two more years left 
which is insane. We could see a mini dynasty here in Marquette, but what a great game. Marquette leads 40 to 32 at halftime. Marquette comes out on a, a run to start the second half. Tyler Colick, I don't remember, I want to give him credit, and I don't remember who made the comparison, but somebody after this game said that Tyler Colick is a a modern, newer version of John Stockton, which is incredible praise. The dude is so good. Every time Marquette needed a bucket, it was him either scoring or creating. He had six assists with his 18 points in this ballgame. He is a bigger guard at 6'3". He gets to the rim. Marquette is so good. Like, there was a point where this game went back and forth, like we've seen all year in the Big East at the top-tier Big East games. Marquette went five out. They brought out um, out on the wing Oso Oso Iguodaro, and they were back cutting, and that is so hard to defend when Marquette's playing like that. Iguodara made a back cut pass to Cam Jones, who finished with the layup. Cam Jones ended up with 19 points. Peyton, I'm going to be real with you. When we seen this team play in West Lafayette against Purdue, we thought, boy, that's that's a better Marquette team than we thought. I had no idea they would be this good. This is the first – we talked about it a couple shows ago, how the Big East, the top five, haven't lost at home. This is the first, first home end. loss yeah. between the top five. And then, of course, Xavier ends up losing Nova the same night or the night before, whenever it was. But just incredible. Peyton, I had no idea Marquette was going to be this good when we seen them. I knew they had talent. You know, we seen Cam Jones, especially in that uh, Purdue game in West Lafayette and Mackie Arena. We seen him have a good game. I figured he'd be a solid player for them. Tyler Clark, even though he played well in that game, I did not expect him to be this damn good. A uh, Big East player of the year candidate for sure. I think he's the favorite to win it this year. I think he's going to win it. I don't see. Only one I'd maybe have above him or even in the conversation is Bryce Hopkins for Providence. But even then, I think Carlick uh, definitely deserves a Big East player of the year. Uh, he's been amazing this year. But yeah, dude, Marquette and Shaka Smart's second year. He's not only the Big East coach of the year, he's top three in the running, maybe second behind uh, Matt Painter for the national coach of the year. Dude, in his second year, he's been incredible. And we mentioned it. A lot of this team, especially the starting father, is like sophomores and freshmen. He can be good for a very long time. And it's not out of running. If they can get some stops in the tournament, the offense is really good. They got a lot of offensive firepower. If they can hit some shots and, most importantly, get some stops in the NCAA tournament, there's no reason why I can't see this Marquette team going to the Final Four, Make at least making a run. I definitely think they're a second-weekend team. Well, you, you see games like this, um, they know how to get stops when needed, but their offense is number three in the nation, was number one there for a while. Um, they, they can do it on both ends of the floor. And how about let's talk about the end of the game. Creighton presses because they need to get the ball back. They are down two, need to get the ball back. Um, Marquette inbounds the ball, and Ryan Nimhart pokes the ball away cleanly. Clean as a whistle, pokes the ball away straight to Ryan Kalkbrenner, who was going to make a dunk or layup to tie the game up. They call it a foul. And then at the very end there, Mark, or Creighton has a chance for a, or a last second heave from a three quarters court. And I think Shireman may have got fouled. Um, I don't know if you got to see the play, what I'm talking about, but by the definition, that should have been a foul, I think. 
Hundred percent. I seen the I seen the uh, clip on Twitter. I think it should have been a foul, and Madoma was hot about it that it wasn't uh, a foul. Um, either way, with this game, we've got to mention um, Marquette's now two games ahead of everybody in the conference, and they're gonna most likely, unless somehow they lose like the last remaining games, they're at least will win a share of the Big East regular season uh, title, which is the first time. And is it ever? Or is it? In the decade, what is it? I don't remember the exact stat. I know uh, it's been a long time since they've even won it. it. It'll be their first time outright. I think maybe outright. they've had okay. a share, but I know outright they've got a real. I mean, they're up two games with two to go or three to go, and their final three games is what I think they got. DePaul, Saint, it's John very winnable. Um, yeah, yeah, very winnable. DePaul, DePaul, Butler, Saint John's. Peyton, I don't think that they lose any of those three. And especially they win Saturday night against DePaul. That at least clinches a share. Then next Tuesday, they beat Butler as well. That clinches the outright. They're, they're, they're the Big East regular season champs, in my opinion. Yeah. And shout out to our friends, well, to the guy who mentioned them earlier. Um, they posted about it after this game was over. Tyler Clark in his last seven games for Marquette is averaging 17.2 points per game, 6.7 assists per game, four and a half rebounds per game, and two steals per game. And that's in his last seven games. So this kid is ridiculously good right now, and he's continue, He's going to continue to get better. Um, 100% Big East part of the year. Let's stay in the Big East, though. Uh, let's go to Connecticut. Nick taking down Providence, the Fires, 87 to 69. Josh, Connecticut. This looks like the old Connecticut that we saw in Portland. This is probably the best game they've played since Portland. They looked like a Final Four team in this one, and they just dominated from the wood to go. They were up 37, 32 at halftime and scored 52 or 50 points in the second half to win this game. 42 points in the paint for Connecticut. Dude, Hawkins, 20 points. He was amazing in this game. No, Connecticut out-bullied the bully. Uh, we, we talk all the time, Providence and Ed Cooley teams are the bully and the aggressors. Connecticut came ready for a fight. And, and it was funny. It was a big game. They had the whiteout T-shirts. They sold the $2 Miller lights. It, it was a big atmosphere. And Connecticut just punched them in the mouth and never let up. Peyton, I, I hear the guys at Field of 68 talk about it. But when Andre Jackson is rolling... And he controls the tempo as well as anybody in the country. Like, just his ability to be a great leader on the floor. Stat line doesn't necessarily show it. Four points, four assists, six rebounds. But his presence of controlling the tempo of a game so huge. You mentioned Jordan Hawkins, 20 points. They get 16 from Alex Caravan, the the 6'8 freshman. 16 from Adama Sanogo. Trisha Newton. He had 12 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds. I mean, stat-wise, I mean, efficiency-wise, he went 3 of 10 from the field. But they don't really need him to be a scorer, and he still got 12 points. They need him to take care of the ball, which he definitely did. 7 assists, 1 turnover. I think he has to start playing like this for the rest of the season. I think he didn't want to make a stretch here in the rest of conference play, and then especially a stretch in March. But hats off to Connecticut. Dude, they went 13 of. 14 from the free throw line, 92%. Coming into this game in the first half, coming into this game, Providence leads the Big East in a free throw, free throw rate. They had no free throws in the first half. Zero. None. None. Hats off to Connecticut. They played well down the stretch, got the game done, or got the big-time win in the home building, and definitely the best performance I've seen in, in them in a long time. Well, I do want to shout out Connecticut. Uh, they locked up at Croswell. 
Like yeah. uh, Providence's big man had nothing going. He ended up with the game with eight points, five rebounds, two assists, one turnover, no blocks, one steal, and three fouls. Connecticut did a great job of defending without fouling as well. Um, I know they end up having 14. I think a lot of them kind of came late. But the majority of the time, this is a game against Providence that they'd normally have a shit ton of fouls. They defended Ed Croswell brilliantly. And you asked the question at the top of this. Connecticut, this is the best that they've looked. They've won two in a row. They're starting to put the pieces together. I don't know where they ultimately end up um, as far as the tournament and how their consistency goes. But Peyton, we've talked about they fall in love with the three-point shot. They go 10 to 21 in this game for 47%. You rounded up 48%. You know, can they do that every night? No, we've seen that they can't. But if they can play defense like this and get after you and treat every game like this game where it matters and they want to be the aggressor, Connecticut can still make a Final Four. Biggest thing for them is their guard play. Their guard play when they were in Portland at the beginning of the season was amazing. Alex Caleban and Trisha Newton were balling out early, uh, early November, um, early December, late November, early December, and then. Once conference play started, they kind of shied away, wasn't really good. But now they're starting to play well again. And Alex Caravan's probably the rookie of the year in the Big East this year. He's been having a great year so far for them. And the biggest discrepancy for this team, especially in this game, 30 on 20 assists Connecticut had on 32 field goals. I think that's really impressive, and I think that's a key for them going forward. So hats off Connecticut, hats off to Dan Hilly. Huge win for them. Um, they held Providence. We mentioned defense is a big issue for them as well. They held Providence under 70 points, which – it's huge for them. It's very difficult to do. Um, hats off to Connecticut. Let's move on, though. Let's go to my Jayhawks Monday night. They knocked off on the road, got their revenge. They knocked off TCU 63-58. to Josh, Kansas, I feel like I say it every week now. They've won five in a row, but they're Final Four good. And when they're balling out, when we're getting out in transition, the fact that we just held a TCU team who's very high tempo through the first game, who blitzed us from three, they didn't really do it in the second game, and I figured they wouldn't. But hats off to Kansas, dude, 68-53. Big-time win for them. And, dude, Grady Dick, 19 points, six rebounds, two assists. He's balling. He he's back. He had that little freshman wall there a few weeks ago, but he's back here lately, and that's huge for Kansas. It, it was another very quiet game from Jalen Wilson. Only seven points. He did end up with 13 rebounds, so he's contributing without scoring the basketball. But we've said all along, Kansas needs other dudes to help him out, and that's exactly what they've been getting. Kevin McCuller with 15, Grady Dick 19, Dewan Harris, Peyton six points. Eight assists, five rebounds. In his last three games, he's got 26 assists to, what, three turnovers? Yeah. He has been outstanding. And this is the production. And by the way, I need to give a huge shout-out to Ernest Uday, the 6'11 freshman. Stat-wise, we keep talking about he's not going to electrify the stat boards. But six points in this game in his 14 minutes, but he's running the floor if you watch him. As soon as Kansas secures the defensive rebound, he is, boom, off to the races like he's playing for North Carolina in, the, in their prime. He is such a huge contributor in his minutes. His role's increasing, and it helps K.J. Adams to spell him. K.J. only played 26 minutes, partly due to foul trouble, but Ernest Uday and Dewan Harris's and Grady Dix and everybody, the supporting cast for Jalen Wilson, has been stepping up. And as I mentioned as well, Kansas – 
like you, well, like you said, Kansas is final four good when they have everybody playing this well. And this was, still wasn't their best game because they tried everything at the end of this game to let TCU come back and win it. They, they're throwing lob. I mean, KJ Adams is running an invert, a revert, inverted pick and roll where he's throwing a lob to the rim to Jalen Will or to Kevin McCuller, throws it out of bounds, gives TCU the ball back. Then they're missing free throws, gives TCU the ball back with a chance. Like Mike Miles, I know he's still trying to get healthy. He played 38 minutes, 13 points, but it wasn't his best game. Felt like he was forcing a lot, and TCU missed a ton of shots around the rim. But Kansas did what they had to do to get a big-time road victory, and now it's a two-horse race between them and Texas for the Big 12 crown coming down to the final 10 days of the regular season. You mentioned Juan Harris. He's not a type of guy that's going to stuff the stat sheet at all, but he does – things on the court that uh, equalize into winning. You mentioned last two games, he's had a total of 26 uh, assists, three turnovers, and all three of those games were W's for us. Won a five-game winning streak. And the, fuck, the stat that I want to bring up, that I've been talking about the last, like, three weeks now, is how we're, like, 20-0 and 0 when he scores 10-plus points or more. Here's another stat. I'm going to take it further. And I didn't learn this about a couple of days ago, before this game even started, that when DeWan Harris this season scores four points or more, Kansas is undefeated. All five of our losses, he scored under four points. So if you're telling me that all we had to do is have the one here score two baskets to get four points, and we have a high percentage of winning this game, never lost, I don't know how many teams are going to be able to compete with Kansas in the tournament. And even on our worst nights, just like we are Madrid in soccer, we don't have to play the best, but we're still capable of winning. I don't know how many teams in the country can say that. Well, and and like we mentioned earlier, we're talking bracketology. 14 quad ones. The next closest is Purdue at at nine. That's ridiculous. And that thing, that stat's going to keep keep on going up because we got Texas coming up last game of the season and whatever we do in the Big 12 tournament. Then we can definitely get over close to 18 quad one wins, which is remarkable. Half of our damn wins are probably going to be quad one wins. Like, that's ridiculous. Kansas is fought a full good. Let's move on, though. Let's move on. Um, did not get to watch this game much. Uh, we did have one of our members, Jared Turner. He was at this game. Michigan State, Sparty, and East Lansing takes down the Hoosiers. Indiana, 80-65. to 65. Michigan State got it done. And I just want to say, I didn't get to watch this game too much. But at the beginning of the game, it was a whiteout for them. And you can just tell, like, those guys were emotional. Um, about the whole situation that's happened on campus. Hats off to them, dude. They deserved a win like this, and they just outplayed Indiana for the whole 40 minutes. Yeah, well, Indiana actually jumped out. Indiana got out to a 22-13 lead, and then Sparty went on like a 22-9 run, I think is what it was, to close out the first half. And it was over with from there. And, you know, credit to Indiana for, you know, you've seen Trace with the Spartan Strong uh, warm-up shirts on. It was an emotional night, their first home game back since the senseless tragedy in East Lansing we've talked about a little bit. And I feel like it was written in the stars, Indiana wasn't winning this game. It, you know, and we go into the game. Trace is doing all he can. 19 points on 35 minutes, seven rebounds, five assists. He had seven turnovers, but... We, we've talked about it, especially recent episodes. I think you're starting to see Trace wear down because he, he's doing all he can, Peyton, but I think he's starting to wear down. He, he played 35 minutes in this game, which is less than what he had been, but 
he looked like a very tired individual, and they're going to need Xavier Johnson back healthy and ready to go. They're going to need the help because, man, if he's wearing down with 10 days left to go in the regular season, that's not good for March. I wonder why he's wearing down. It's only like the last seven games he's played 39 minutes plus. So I wonder why he's staring down. But I am. they need Xavier Johnson either way. Like, Jalen Hutchifino can't keep playing point guard for them. He had a decent game, 16 points, played 30 minutes. I can't see if he had any turnovers or not because he doesn't stay on here. But He had one. He had one. Okay, so that's a lot better than what he's been doing. His last two games, he's had, like, 15 combined turnovers. So that's definitely – he's getting better than that. But if they want to make any type of run, especially to get to the second weekend, they're going to not only need TJD to be healthy and ready to go, they're going to need Xavier Johnson. I'm curious when he comes back. I hope it's this Saturday against Purdue. Well, well uh, they, they need other guys. Tamar Bates – Played 13 minutes. He only took one shot. No threes. Just took one shot. Missed it. No points. Malik Renault, 13 minutes, two points, four rebounds. Like they they need these other guys to play well. That they need the help for Trace because Indiana can't start wearing down now. And by the way, I could tell that they um they basically basically conceded this game because with like two minutes ago, Indiana had got it down to nine or ten points. And they took Trace, they took everybody, all the starters out, put reserves like Anthony Leal, CJ Gunn in, and left Jalen Hood Shafino. Only down nine with like two to go. You've seen that they waved the white flag. So I'm wondering if it yeah. wasn't strategic. They kind of figured, well, we're not going to win. So let's save as much as we can for Saturday's game. Yeah. By the way, we got to give a huge shout out. Michigan State's playing better. We've seen them at Ohio State. The backcourt, Tyson Walker, mm. 23 points, AJ Hogger, 22. Peyton, Michigan State goes 10 of 21 from three as well. The exact same number that UConn hit we talked about. Joey Hauser chipped in 10 points. Malik Hall with 10 points. This is a Michigan State team. I know they've got 10 losses, but they are getting better at the right time. That backcourt's looking real good with Walker and Hoggard. Yes, sir. Dude, Tyson Walker's fun to watch. I mentioned it when he was at the Ohio State game. I was like, this kid, is just, he just gets buckets. He has a great mid-range game. And the fact that he went 5-7 of seven for a three-point line, that's 71% from the three-pointer uh, three-pointer line. Um, this kid's phenomenal. He's averaging 14 a game, 2.3 rebounds per game, 2.5 assists per game. This kid can definitely take them, along with guys like A.J. Hargood and Mady Sisisco. And listen, the clock's going to turn to March. And don't forget who missed the marches. It's still right. and always was been. It still is Tom Izzo. And they're starting to peak at the right time. And all I'm going to say is watch out for Sparty because they coming. Hey, hey, but real quick, before we move on from Michigan State, look at these stats. Like, they're they're okay offensively. But defensively, they're 26 now in Ken Palm in defense. They defend the three-point line 14th best in the nation. Teams are only shooting a paltry 29.3%. And then conversely, Sparty shooting 37.5% from three-point line. So that's a huge weapon, both offensively and defending the three. And then they shoot free throws well right now, 75.6% as a team. That's 46 bests in the nation. Their remaining schedule, they're, uh, what do we say, they're 17 and 10 right now. They got three very winnable games to round out to go 20 and 10 heading into the Big Ten tournament. I would hate... Whoever, they're going to end up being anywhere from a 7 to a 10 seed more than likely. I would hate to see them round one in the NCAA tournament right now. Nah, I 100% agree. Let's move on to your conference, Josh. Let's move on to the SEC conference. Um, Tennessee, man, they lost again. 
was that three in a row now that they've lost or no two in a row because they did beat two in a row and they beat uh two in the last last seven five of the last seven that's what it is they got another l given to them texas a&m beats them 68 to 63 in an ugly game josh you had to uh sit down and watch all this game what happened why did this game was so ugly is tennessee (laughs) offense just that damn bad uh, both teams' offense are really struggled, but we, we knew they're both two of the top defensive, like physical, grinded out teams in the nation. Tennessee actually jumped out to a 9 0 lead in this game. They, they were clicking a little bit on offense, but Tennessee's offense, especially without a Julian Phillips who still did not play, they have nobody to stretch the floor outside of Viscovi. So everybody plays them to pack the paint, they have nobody to open the floor up with. So it's all like compacted offense, and it's just it's not pretty basketball. They hit nine threes, but that's more of a byproduct of uh, getting out in transition or Texas A&M losing a man. But they shot thirty one, like nine of thirty one's not good. Even though you hit nine, that's twenty nine percent. That's not good. Their offense is brutal. As great as their defense is, their offense is equally as bad. They're not getting the or the production from Tyreek Key that they were getting at the beginning of the year. Three points in this game on 18 minutes. Um, it's just they're not – I don't want to say they're not good. That's not fair. But their offense is brutal. And as long as that offense continues to stay compact and ugly – they're not winning too many big ball games, but I do want to give a lot of credit to Texas A&M. Buzz Williams, I think this, for sh- in my opinion, despite the weak non-con schedule that they uh, that they booked, I think this secured um, their place in the big dance. Twenty-one and seven now, thirteen and two, second only a game behind Alabama for the SEC lead, and they play each other last regular season game next week. Wade Taylor is an SEC Player of the Year candidate, twenty-five points in this game. Julius Marble, the Michigan State transfer. 21. They just make so many winning plays, especially a guy like Tyrese Radford. He only had 10 points in this game, but there was a stretch where they were trying to tie the game back up, and he made two huge offensive rebounds by himself. All will, all desire. Nobody was boxing him out. He was going to get in the basketball, and if that's not a Buzz Williams characteristic of his teams, I don't know what is. A&M, they don't play pretty basketball, but they are physical, and if you don't come ready for a fight, they're going to get you. 100% agree. Um, Tennessee, I've been saying it for the past couple weeks, that I think they can go out in the first round. I don't see them making it past the first weekend. Uh, if you look at – we mentioned bracketology earlier. If you look at their latest bracketology, um, in the their matchup 14-3 seed is Hosha. Hosha shoots 36% from three-point line. They're top 25 and two-point percent, shooting 55%. That's a team that can get them in the tournament as long as they keep them off the glass, which is going to be very, would be very difficult for them to do. But I can see shit like that happening. And Tennessee's offense just isn't good. Even with Julian Phillips, we've seen him on the floor. They still don't give him enough shot attempts for him to take over a game. So I'm not really worried that they're going to continue to do that once he comes back. Their offense is just too stagnant, not consistent. And Hosha, another thing about them, they have the nation's fourth line is active win streak at 10 in a row so far. So that's a matchup. If it happens, probably won't, but if it happens, Hofstra could get them. Uh, Tennessee, though, hats off, hats off to Texas A&M. And dude, if Texas A&M wins out, they win a share of the SEC. Them and Alabama were tied for the first place, which is ridiculous because they got that last game of the season against Alabama in Texas A&M. We know how difficult it is to go on the road and win games. 
Hey, real quick, Tennessee's in real danger. We keep talking about the double buys, how important they are in these conference tournaments. Tennessee's nine and six in conference now, uh, and they're no longer tied. Kentucky got the win last night against Florida, which they're solely in third place. Tennessee's tied with Auburn right now for fourth. Top four get a double buy, uh, and Arkansas, Missouri, and Vandy, only a game behind both of them. Tennessee could screw around and end up have to play on Thursday night as opposed to Friday. And that's a big difference, adding the extra game on your legs. Yep. You just alluded to it. Let's go ahead and talk about your boys. Kentucky takes down Florida Gators. The sweep of chop, chop, Florida Gators, 82-74. to 74. Four of your starting five had, was in double figures for this game. Oscar Sheboy led the way with 25 points. Jacob Toppin had a double-double of 19 and 11. Kaysen Wallace with 8.6 assists. He only started to not get double digits. Kentucky sweeps Florida this year. Um, Florida was without their best player, Colin Castleton. But even then, I don't know uh, if they still would have won this game. Kentucky starting to peak uh, at the right time. And Kentucky, Josh, call me crazy, but they got the talent. To get to the final four, I said it like three weeks ago after the first match of Tennessee, and I'm sure people thought I was crazy. But if for the right matchups, and you got the reigning national defender, the player of the year, and Oscar Sheboy, dude, I think Coach Cal deserves a lot of credit. I, I do too. I completely agree. I mean, we we buried him earlier, but conversely, we're, we need to praise him because he's adjusted based on necessity to injuries that forced his hand, but. You know, we've talked about Oscar is not playing as much drop coverage in the pick and roll now. And we're the offense is clicking. The offense is a top 20 offense in the nation. And they know their strengths. We don't take a lot of threes, you know, 4-13 in this game. But we attack the paint and let our defense do the work. And Oscar was amazing in this game. 25 points, as you mentioned. He hit, I swear, I'd have to look at the box, the, the shot chart. He went 5-5 five five for mid-range jump shots. Five of five, which 12 of 13 from the field. He missed one shot all night. Outstanding. And this is what, keep in mind, Kaysan Wallace continues to, you know, not score the basketball, but six assists again. He did have six turnovers. I think some of it's fatigue, not having a backup because Kentucky's five starters played at least 35 minutes. They played no subs in the second half. That five of Reeves, Livingston, Wallace, Shibway, and Toppin played every single minute in the second half, no subs. So that says a lot. And Kentucky jumped Florida 30 to 15, thought, oh, cool, have a blowout victory. Let Florida come right back into it. That's the one concern about the Cats right now is that they don't know how to put teams away yet. Florida, to their credit, playing with house money, they knew they were, and they were just letting it fly from three. They hit so many in the first half. We're getting to the rim. Riley Kugel ends up with 24, a career high. Kawasi Reeves had a nasty dunk, 16 points, but Kentucky locked in more in the second half. I think Florida hit seven of their eight threes or six of their eight threes in the first half, then only hit whatever it was, two in the second half. So Kentucky locked in. Florida gave everything they had more. Cats with another quad one. That's five now. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about, hey, they only got one. Now just whatever it was, 10 days, 14 days later, they've got five. That's right there with some of the best in the country. And um, I, I still believe, you know, you, you went out, you went against Auburn, Vandy, and you go into Arkansas and beat them. Then whatever happens SEC tournament, I think Kentucky gets as high as a sixth seed right now. 
I agree. I think they're dangerous when it comes to tournament play. I think they can they got the talent to get it done. If they have some shots, um, and their defense locks in like it has been for the past couple, really past couple of weeks. Um, I think call me crazy. I still it wouldn't shock me if Kentucky gets to the final four. Like we all oh. anticipated it at the start of the year. Like, like you've mentioned, and like our guy Phil said last night when he was watching this game, texting us, um, you know, I'd hate to be some poor – if Kentucky's a seven seed or an eight seed, I'd hate to be some poor one or two seed and have to see those guys in the second round. Yep. But but we we need Frederick and Wheeler back. I heard C.J. Yeah. Frederick might be good to go for the Auburn game Saturday, but need both of them back for the depth. Because yep. Casey Wallace is kind of breaking down a little bit. We ain't going to talk about this game too much because – Honestly, coming into this game, it was not a big game. I did not. This game was closer than any of us anticipated to be. Um, but sticking in the SEC, Alabama squeaks one out at South Carolina in overtime, 78-76. to This is the first game that Brandon Miller's played um, you know, in the week since that whole uh, stuff that we talked about during the show happened. This was a crazy game. I mean, dude, we had Seth Greenberg, and I forgot who the other dude was on the, the play-by-play announcer. I forgot his name on the call. Um, there was a fight in the in the crowd between fans. Uh, fans were chanting shit at Brandon Miller. Um, Josh, this is a crazy game. And with all the talk about Brandon Miller this week, all this kid does is just responds in the best way possible. 41 points, eight rebounds, hit the game winner, or hit the game-tying layup to really send it to overtime, and then hits the game-winning layup. Dude, I don't give a shit if it's at South Carolina. I don't care if, it's if South Carolina is the bottom of the SEC. I don't care. For all the stuff that's happened this week, for this kid to have a performance like that, this is the best performance that I've seen out of a player in college basketball this year. No, absolutely. You mentioned it, and I agree. Um, and you're starting to hear other publications say the same thing. The most dominant performance we've seen this year. 41 points. What was it, Eight rebounds or seven rebounds? Eight. As I'm saying, I don't have stats in front of me right now, but uh, – he got anything he wanted. And if you're South Carolina, after the dudes already gave you 37, how do you keep letting him go one-on-one? How do you not bring a double team over and make somebody else beat you? Yeah. I think, he was, got, wa- I think I was watching too much of what Brad Underwood was doing against Oni. Yeah, they just let him go for some reason. Yeah. Like, no, you got – when he's going off like that, you need – especially in your home building when you have a chance to win, um, you need to double team. You need to get the ball out of his hands. 100 yeah, he um he got anything you wanted and he showed off every move he's got mid range. He hit three threes, he got to the rim, you know, the, the, that's why he's a top five pick. And even with all the craziness, Michi and Johnson bet, almost hit that half court shot. Oh my god, I thought it was online. It hit the backboard. It, it almost pulled it basically pulled uh, Gordon Hayward Gordon in the Hayward. national yeah. the national title. I thought he hit it though. I swear I thought he hit it. Yeah. It was close. And if they, the thing is, if they would have lost this game, Alabama, then them and Texas and them would have been tied for first place. And then it, did, it would have came down to whoever wins that game and yeah. the last game of the regular season. But it, it, it shows Alabama can play bad and still win on the road. Um, yeah. They, they've got a guy that can go get you a bucket, and there's not too many teams in the country that do. So that's nope. why they're dangerous. Oh, yeah. I'm sad. Uh, let's go and talk about some of these previews. The big one Saturday night. But unfortunately, we would not be able to uh, attend. Some stuff happened. If you want to check out what happened, just go check the Facebook group. Josh posted about it. It's an unfortunate circumstance. We will not be at this game. Um, but the game that we're talking about is the second matchup of the big rivalry. Uh, probably the best rivalry in the country this year, 100%. Number 17 ranked Indiana goes at Mackey Arena. They get to play the number five ranked Purdue Bowlermakers. 
Josh, me and you both, our bank lineups was Indiana sweeps them this year. And even though Indiana lost to Michigan State and a tough one, um, I still think Indiana is going to be able to get the job done and right the ship and sweep Purdue this year. Uh, I think Indiana's athleticism is going to be way too much for Purdue to handle. They struggled in the first matchup. Nobody's going to be able to stop Zach Eady. He's probably going to be the Kempom MVP like he was in the first matchup. But the question I have is like the question that we had at the first matchup. Who's going to step up in their guard play? And I don't know if anyone's going to step up in their guard, in their backcourt. Um, I think Indiana, especially if Xavier Johnson's back for this game, which I don't know if he will be, uh, I'd like to see him back for this one. It don't sound like it. Mike Woodson said something to the effect today that uh, basically X is not able to do the stuff that he feels like he should be able to. So he said he's going to have to sit down and talk to him and be like, man, what, what do you want out of this? Um, and put him through the paces because if he can't do it or doesn't feel like he can, he's shutting him down. That's fair. Um, that's a fair assessment, especially if you're good because you're going to, we mentioned that you're going to need him for much. Um, but I still think Indiana wins this game. I think it's going to be lower scoring than the first matchup was. I think Indiana wins 72 to 68. Yeah. I, I, Matt Painter is a great coach. So I feel like he's going to adjust the way that they use Zach Eady. You know, it, it's not going to be a whole lot because he's dominant around the rim and he still was in that first matchup. But I feel like they're going to look at that tape on how Indiana and Northwestern both sent awkward double teams at Zach or uh, Zach Eady and try to maneuver him around. Maybe they put him out a little higher so that way the double team doesn't, you know, as isn't as effective. But it's going to come down to Purdue's going to need their guards to hit shots. You know, that first matchup, David Jenkins came in and gave him a couple threes, but Mason Gillis didn't really play that great. Fletcher Lawyer didn't shoot the ball well. Braden Smith, we knew he had the big turnover late. Their guards are going to win or lose this game because Edie can go get 40 and 25 and them still lose. So if Purdue's guards are up to the task of Indiana's physicality and stopping them as long as hitting shots, Purdue wins this game. But I think Indiana is going to basically do what they did the first game. Now they are on the road. How will they respond to hostile territory? You know, you look at them on the road this year. They've lost to Michigan State. They've lost to Northwestern. They've lost to Maryland. They've lost to Penn State. They've lost to Iowa. They've lost to Kansas. They've lost to Rutgers. Pretty much all their losses have came on the road. So that doesn't bode well going into Saturday night. But Trace is going to be up for this game. I think Indiana's guards can make enough plays because we've seen in the first matchup Purdue's guards, at least in that one, couldn't contain Jalen hood Shafino. So if Indiana's guards play smart, limit the turnovers, and obviously they're going to have to hit some shots, uh, I think Indiana sweeps them. I'll stick with it because I don't know if Purdue's guards can match up. I think this is one of those games that's a bad matchup for Purdue, despite being at home. And I think Indiana sweeps them. I think it's going to be close. So I'll say Indiana wins this game 77-76. Outside of the two star players, Zach Eady for Purdue and TJD for Indiana, if who do you think is going to be the unsung hero if one of these teams win? Besides the two star players, um, for both teams, give yeah. one for each. Yeah, one for each. Um, so unsung can be anybody not named Zach Eady or Trace Jackson. Davis. Yes, no star. You can't name any of the star players. So yeah, no Zach Eady, no TJD, but you name anyone else. Um, hmm, that's a good question. Indiana, I think Ray Thompson. 
I, I think Race Thompson, um, he played okay in the first matchup. But again, his ability to stretch out, if that dude can hit two or three threes and pull, you know, pull Purdue bigs away from the rim, that's only going to help Trace. So I think if Indiana wins this game, Race Thompson has like a 15-point game. For Purdue, I'm sticking with their backcourt. I think Fletcher Lawyer, if Purdue wins this game, it's because Fletcher Lawyer has a nice game. And a nice game, again, 15, 20 points or whatever it may be. But Fletcher Lawyer has got to be the guy. For Purdue, I'm going to say Mason Gillis. Uh, first matchup, he did not particularly play well at all, especially earlier on. I mean, he had five points, four rebounds coming off the bench, played 15 minutes. For Indiana, I'm going to go. He did play pretty well. He got going, uh, especially in the first half. I'm going to go Miller Cop. You're talking about being able to stretch it out, hit some shots, and he made some big-time plays down the stretch for him, especially defensively-wise. He is making the players. So I think Miller Cop for IU is going to be the unsung hero for them if they win. And if Purdue wins, I think a guy like Mason Gillis is the answer for them. But those are predictions for the Indiana-Purdue game, the green match this Saturday. Make sure you check it out. It's a 7.30 p.m. Uh, tip-off time, so it's definitely a big matchup for that. Moving on, Big 12 matchup. Number eight, Lake Texas going at number nine, Link Baylor. Baylor's coming off of a tough loss against Kansas State. They are now, I think, like three games back out of first place now. Um, Texas and Kansas is the top two teams tied for first place. If Texas were to lose this game, then in order for them to win the Big 12 Conference, Kansas either had to drop a game or they'd have to beat Kansas in the last game of the regular season. Um, Texas at Baylor, though. I love Baylor's backcourt. I do like Texas' backcourt. But coming off of a game where Baylor lost Kansas State, I think they're going to win to defend the home court. They lost two games in a row now against Kansas and Kansas State. Baylor holds home court. And I really needed them to hold home court because I don't want it to come to that last damn game to determine who wins the Big 12 regular season conference this year. So I'm rooting for Baylor. I'm rooting for the Bears. I'm rooting for Scott Drew. Baylor gets the job done 82-77. to You know, Baylor dropped two games in a row. And, uh, and of course, big games, right? Kansas, Kansas State. But – I don't know. Like Texas is playing for something still. And I think they want to keep pace. And you look at Baylor's defense as great as their offense is, which is second in the nation. They got the 94th ranked defense, Peyton. They, they are one of the worst teams in college basketball defending the two point line or the two point shot. Teams are shooting 53.1% from them or against them inside the three point line. And you look at Texas they're 33rd best in the nation in that category, shooting 54.6% from two-point land. I think that might be the difference. Like, the backcourts are going to kind of cancel each other out. Baylor's is great, but Texas has got a really good backcourt. And when it comes down to nut-cutting time, who's going to be able to get four stops in a row to end the ball game? I, I had Baylor predicted in this game originally, but after seeing them the last couple games, I think Texas wins this, and I think it's going to come down to who can get stops at the end of the game. And I think Texas is better equipped to do that right now with Marcus Carr and you got Timmy Allen and all the guys we know. I, I like Texas in this game in a close one. Um, I think Texas wins 81-75. Keep in mind for Baylor, this is a revenge game for them. Texas did beat them January 30th in the Moody Center, 76-71. So this is a revenge game from Baylor. And also keep in mind that the two-game losers, we're talking about Kansas and Kansas State, both of those games were at 
uh, Kansas and Kansas State. And Octagon of Doom, or playing at the Fog and playing at the Octagon of Doom, two very difficult places to win at. And they both had chances to win it. they come up with wins in that game. So I think they're going to hold home court, though. Either way, it's going to be an interesting game to watch. Big 12 implications on the line for first place. Going to be exciting to watch. Both teams have a top 10. And I think I think Baylor has a top the top backcourt in the country, and I think Texas is definitely in the running. Maybe top five. We'll see. Um, I think Baylor wins, though. Moving on, though, let's go to the WCC rematch. We got St. Mary's taking on Gonzaga. St. Mary's did beat Gonzaga in the first matchup. Um, Josh, I'll go to you in this one. Who do you got winning? This is in the kennels, and it is a revenge game for Gonzaga. Is Gonzaga holding whole court, or does St. Mary's sweep him? Yeah, as much as I love Aiden Mahaney, I, I raved about him in that first matchup where he dominated the final six minutes of regulation and overtime. I think he's going to have another good game, but St. Mary's also in a way was fortunate because Gonzaga had a lead and blew it late in that game because in part that Mahaney caught fire and Gonzaga, they, they, they helped out, you know, not take care of the basketball and stuff. But you go back, Drew Timmy at 23 in that contest. He didn't really get a whole lot of help. It is at home in the kennel. We know Gonzaga's defense has been fairly poor this year. They rank 87th in the nation. They got the number one offense again for like the 18th year in college basketball, it feels like. But they're giving up a lot of points. Just the other night or last Saturday, they gave 88 to Pepperdine. They gave up uh, 81 to BYU, 81 to San Fran. And those are in wins. But St. Mary's plays underrated defense as well. So can St. Mary's score as much as Gonzaga? Because in that first matchup, they beat them 78-70 in overtime. So if this ends up being a track meet, Gonzaga wins in a blowout. But if St. Mary's can play their tempo, slow the game down like they want to, play at the pace, play late in the shot clock, and hit their shots with a guy like Mahaney, St. Mary's can go in and pull the sweep on Gonzaga and essentially win the WCC. But I don't see it happening. I think Gonzaga's on them early and often. I think Gonzaga wins comfortably by like 15, 18 points. I got Gonzaga winning a high-scoring game because St. Mary's won't be able to play from behind against them that much. Um, Gonzaga wins this game 91-74. to 74. Um, first place is definitely on the line because, like you mentioned, if St. Mays wins this and sweeps them, then they go two ha- two games ahead of Gonzaga for first place in WCC. But if Gonzaga wins this game and they split the series and both teams are tied with a 13-1 record and they were split the series unless one of these games or one of these teams drop a game here in the upcoming games coming soon. But I agree with you. I think I think it's going to be a little bit closer to what you said, though. Uh, Gonzaga, I think they're going to put up 80 points. I think they beat St. Mays 80. To 73 and, and, and split keep, the series. And keep in mind, this is the last week of the WCC. It's yeah. Saturday's the final game. So it literally is going to determine the WCC, how it finishes out. Because remember, the WCC, along with other conferences like the Ohio Valley, next week's Champ Week. So the conference tournament will have bids punched next week. And so this game will go a long way to determine. I don't know who wins the tiebreaker, who gets the one seed, but. Yeah, that this is the last week of the WCC. Oh, that is so right. the the final game is between Gonzaga St. Mary's coming oh. out for the conference title race. So it's gonna be a lot in oh, it's gonna be God. super interesting. Yeah. Damn, I didn't know that. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. the WCC ends a week early, like the Ohio Valley that. and others. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Damn. 
So this game really is for first place. Holy shit, I just made this game even more interesting to me. Uh, but I still think with my scoreline, the Gonzaga wins 82-73, split the series, and win a share of the WCC. Uh, moving on, let's go to the SEC. Arkansas goes at number two ranked Alabama. Josh, it's just your confidence. I'll let you take first bid. Yeah, Arkansas is playing a lot better. Nick Smith's back. They've got their star. How healthy is he? I, I mean, I don't know. You know, he, he's he's integrating. I think the other night, I'm trying to pull up the stat. Last night, he had a good game. They blew out Georgia, you know, 97-65. Nick Smith with 26 points in that ball game. They got 22 from Ricky Council. So, if Nick Smith is back-back, Arkansas can go into Alabama and knock them off. So, it's going to be very, very interesting but I think Alabama at home is a different beast. We've seen what they've done at home to other teams and opponents. So because of that, I've got Alabama win, and I don't think they're going to play bad twice like they did uh, twice in a row is what I meant, like they did last night at South Carolina. This is a big contest. They're still in the lead with SEC. They know a loss will potentially tie them with Texas A&M with that matchup looming, as you mentioned. I think it's going to be a fun game, probably a high-scoring game, because Arkansas is one of those teams that has the firepower, especially with Nick Smith, to play up and down with them. But I think, you know, Coleman Coliseum, you know, Alabama is a different ball club there. So I got Alabama winning a high-scoring game, uh, 88 to 82. If Arkansas would have played Alabama at Arkansas on Wednesday instead of playing at South Carolina, I think Arkansas would have won that game. And I don't think it would have went into overtime like it did with South Carolina. Just my opinion. But the fact of the matter is, is they didn't, and it wasn't at Arkansas. And this time it's at Alabama. And like you said, I really want to pick Arkansas to win this game because I love the must bus and I love watching Nick Smith play. Balled out against uh, Georgia, 26 points like you alluded to. Um, and before he got injured, he was playing well. Uh, if they had Trayvon Bazell, I think this would be a whole different story. I, I love, I love Arkansas's chances of going to Alabama yeah. and upsetting them. If, if they, if they had Brazil, if he never got hurt, this is probably for the conference lead. Yeah, yeah, most likely. Um, but holding home court is very important. Alabama's done it pretty much all season long this year. Um, I think Bamba wins this game, eighty-five to seventy-six. I agree. That's really any other game. Saturday that you might want to talk about. I mean, this really are the four big ones. Really, I mean, the Arkansas-Bama is, a, I guess, kind of a big one, but it doesn't have, like, first place online or anything else like these other these other three games have in common. Um, Kentucky does play Auburn Saturday. Um, I think Kentucky wins that game. Not a fan of this Auburn squad at all. Uh, haven't really been on their bandwagon all season, and they've pretty much struggled pretty much all season long. Auburn only wins that game, in my opinion, if their backcourt hits a bunch of threes. And I don't yeah. think Kentucky's going to allow that too much, and Kentucky's too big and physical. Yeah. That's pretty much it. North Carolina does play Virginia at North Carolina. That's a must win. A must win. Virginia is struggling. We forgot to mention, Virginia did lose to Boston College. Yep. Hit 48 points on Boston College. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I don't yep. know, dude. Yep. Yep. I, I have concerns about Virginia now after that. Their offense isn't just like Tennessee and just like Iowa State. And that can shitty, they score enough? And then that's shitty for North Carolina because they're they're banking on Virginia to be a very high quality win, but it, it'll help them in a quad one win. But it's not going to look as great as it was. No. But they need the win. If not, I mean, it's over with unless they run out in Greensboro. 
I think it's over with anyways. I think Virginia is going to find a way to win this game. But um, that's really the end. That's the end of the show. Uh, we were planning on doing the Big East draft, but since there's two of us, there's really no point in doing that. Um, we'll probably do it Sunday when we have at least three of us, potentially four of us on the show. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you guys for so so much for joining in. Um, if you was watching the show live, if you're watching the show, whenever you're watching or listen to it, appreciate you. Give us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter and all of our social Don't media Don't forget pages. tomorrow night. Yes, sir. Check out House of College Hoops. Check out House Enterprise. Beauty and Beast Attrition. And don't forget tomorrow night, uh, Phil Dexter and Dan Vasta will be talking a lot of things about Brockatology on one of their Twitter spaces on Twitter. So make sure you check that out as well. Um, my name is Peyton. For Josh, for Phil, for Corey, who's not here, we'll catch y'all next Sunday. Peace, y'all. See ya.